Thanks to Health IQ for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com slash fool to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz and potentially save up to 41% on premiums. Also, thanks to Grammarly for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people improve their writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. Start writing confidently by going to Grammarly.com fool to get 20% off a Grammarly premium account today. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. Never going to get tired of saying that. <laughs> This week, we're offering advice to tidy up your finances and overall life with the help of Her Money's Dayana Yoakum. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, bro, what's up? Well, Allison, I know we'd all prefer to put off thinking about taxes for at least another month or two, but now is the time to get your withholdings right for 2020. Now, you should do this every year. Uh, make sure you have the same amount, the right amount taken out, especially if you had too much withheld last year or not enough withheld. But also, maybe you went through a life change that will affect your taxation. Maybe you had a kid, got married, divorced, retired, or there's a big change in your income. Um, but why you should consider doing this every January this year, it's particularly worth considering because the IRS has, for the first time in 30 years, updated the W 4, which is that form you filled out gave to your employer, and then they use that to determine how much should be withheld for taxes. Now, as I was reading about the new W-4, I had some questions that I couldn't quite figure out. Um, so, I reached out to H&R Block and was able to speak with Nathan Rigney, their lead tax research analyst. Um, so, he pointed out that you don't have to complete the new one if you already have one on file with your employer, but your employer will convert the old W-4 that you filled out to the new one. And that there may be some problems with that. In fact, we here at the Motley Fool had a little bit of a snafu at the beginning of the year. Oh yeah. Oh, was that Remember? what that was that, about? That's why that happened. Everyone had a little too much withheld, and then some. Some of it got re- refunded. So, it's actually a pretty good time to make sure they did that right. When you look at the new W four, it's actually pretty simple. It's simpler than previous years, um, partially because the previous version had questions about allowances, which related, which were related to exemptions. Exemptions are no longer a thing because they went away with the new tax law in 2017. So it's pretty simple, especially if you're single, um, you only have one job, and you don't itemize your taxes. Now, if you're married, you have multiple jobs, or you do have a more complicated tax situation, you're going to get, or you just want basically a more accurate withholding, you should use the online estimator, which is at www.irs.gov forward slash W4APP. Just know that you're going to need last year's tax return as well as your most recent tax uh, pay stub to put in the right information. I did have a question um, about the new W-4 uh, that H&R Blocks, Nathan Rigney, helped me answer with an assist from Megan Fernandez of the Full Payroll Department. And that was basically, how does the, the W-4 handle the employee-related benefits that are pre-tax, such as contributions to traditional 401k, contributions to the flexible spending? The premiums that you pay for your health insurance, which by the way are not taxed. So they are, for all intents and purposes, deductions because they lower your taxable income. The answer is this if you're just going to use the basic form on the W 4, you don't enter those. Basically, your employer will take those out before they apply your income to the withholding tables. 
There is a line on that form that asks about deduc deductions, but they're asking there about things like mortgage interest, contributions to deductible traditional IRA. You don't enter your 401k contributions or anything there. Now, if you use the online estimator, it will ask about all that, and you do enter all of that, including a line which I thought probably will confuse some people. There's, a, there's an area that says, did you or will you contribute to an HSA, FSA, pre-tax child care credit account, or other cafeteria plan? Are you familiar with the cafeteria plan? I am. I just submitted my dependable care, dependent care reimbursement today. Great. Thank you. It's actually an umbrella term for just about any of these health, mostly health-related things. So you would also, under that field, enter what you're paying for your health insurance premiums because those do reduce your taxable income. Just a little tip on when you fill it out. And the great thing is when you're done, you can then it, you click a button and it prints out a PDF with your information that you can then just you fill in some other information, sign it, and give it to your employer. A few other exciting points about this exciting topic when it comes to tax withholdings. Uh, so what we <laughs> Allison is just laughing because she knows. <laughs> because Rick's making a great face. <laughs> Rick looks like he fell asleep behind the glass. But this is good. This is good. It's important stuff. Sort of. Anyway, so everything we talked about was with federal for federal. If you live in a state with a state income tax, you got to do it for the state. If you're self-employed, you don't do anything with the W-4. You do the quarterly withholdings or quarterly payments, which is a whole other ball of wax. Um, remember that taxes are not withheld from interest, dividends, capital gains, and taxable accounts. So if you maybe sold a bunch of stock in one of your taxable brokerage accounts, have a big taxable capital gain. You, should, you might want to send in an extra payment or at least set that cash aside because you'll have to owe it when you do your taxes. When it comes to Social Security, you don't have to have money taken out of your Social Security, but when you sign up for it, you basically choose a percentage on how much you want to be, how much you want withheld. Um, so you're going to obviously have to do some calculations to make sure you get that right. And then distributions from traditional retirement accounts, the default is from financial services companies. IRS requires them to hold, withhold 10%. Unless you change that, and 10% is not going to be right for you, probably. So, you want to do a little calculating there. What if I do none of the things you just said? What's the worst that could happen? So, that's a good question. Uh, the ta right, withholdings, like our system is a pay as you go system. You have to pay some taxes throughout the year. Uh, if you don't, you're going to pay an underpayment penalty. What people then do is, like, I'm just going to have a bunch taken out because I love getting that refund. But of course, what you've done is you've lost the use of that money for more, you know, a year or so. It's always better to have the use of your money sooner, especially if you can invest it, because historically speaking, the sooner you can invest your money, the better off you're going to be. So that's it for tax withholdings. Just one final thing for today's What's Up, Bro? And this is more of a personal anecdote, but a follow up to something we talked about a couple of years ago. So a couple of years ago, we had Brock Jolly and Tim McPhillan of the collegefundingcoach.org on, uh, basically talking about how can you pay for college. And they made the point that, quote, that there are schools, particularly in the middle of the country, that are not getting flooded with applications from kids from the East Coast and the West Coast, and they offer very generous out-of-state packages if you've got the grades. So we followed their advice, our daughter Noelle, senior in high school. We looked around. Pennsylvania, Ohio, and we came across this school in Ohio, the College of Worcester. Have you ever heard of it? We hadn't either, but to quote the Fisk Guide, though not well known to the general public, Worcester is renowned in academic circles around the world. It's this really charming little school an hour south of Cleveland, 
2,000 students. Um, it's known for uh, independent study, uh, a lot of undergraduate mentor research, um, a lot of great little traditions. Um, so we kind of fell in love with it. Nicest people in the world when we went and visited. Some chemistry professor gave us just an impromptu tour of the place. Uh, so we, Noelle applied. She got in. And sure enough, they offered her an aid package that made it, brought the cost down to the same as what it would be if we went to an in-state college. That said, she also got into William & Mary. She's deciding to go to William & Mary because it's only a couple hours away. It's my wife's alma mater. But as my wife said, when we sent that email to Worcester telling them that we were, weren't accepting the package, it was, kind of, it was a little heartbreaking Aww. because we really kind of fell in love with the place. So yeah. the bottom line is we followed Brock's and Tim's advice. And at least in our case, it turned out to be true. So if you're not happy with your in-state choices, cast a wide net. See what's out there, because there really are a lot of schools that might be interested in getting someone from another part of the country with a different set of skills, especially if they have some unique talents or particularly good grades. And that, Allison, is what's up. This episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by Health IQ. You average eight hours of sleep a night, you exercise, you eat well, you're a generally healthy person. Wouldn't it be nice to save some money because of it? If you exercise regularly, or maybe you're a vegetarian or vegan, then you could be rewarded for your hard work with more affordable life insurance rates thanks to Health IQ. Health IQ can save you up to 41% because physically active people have significantly lower risks for health disease, cancer, and diabetes. But these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. You won't find them anywhere else, and you must qualify to get a special rate. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com fool to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz. Depending upon your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. That's healthiq.com fool. I'll polish the leaves, make them green again, shake out the trees, chasing again, spring cleaning, getting ready for love. Every year here at Motley Fool Answers, we do some sort of clean up your stuff, clean out your closet, get your financial life organized uh, episode. And you know what? This is that episode for 2020. And this so year, welcome back. Welcome back. To that episode. We're getting help, uh, of course, today from Diana Yoakum from Her Money. Diana, remind us what you and all the good folks at Her Money do. Well, we're all about improving the relationship that women have with money. And our, our mission is basically to level that playing field for financial security, for confidence power, all of that stuff. And it's bold, unbiased, uh, and always smart, at least I hope. I can speak <laughs> coming from, from you. I can speak <laughs> so, from the other writers. Uh, but so, yeah. For people who would like to get more information from Her Money, you actually have... Yeah, there's an easy way to do that. If you text Her Money, all one word, like Harmony, but Her Money, okay. to 888-111. And then what will happen? Beautiful thing. <laughs> a rainbow will suddenly appear. Life-changing, magical thing. Yes. Well, it could be life-changing. <laughs> we'll send you a, a great newsletter um, with some immediate tips you can put into action to help you manage your finances. Awesome. Uh, Deanna, do you remember when we first started doing this podcast, moving on, when we first started doing this podcast five years ago, uh, and we're sitting there in the studio, and Bro decided to make a joke related to John Travolta messing up um, Adina Menzel's name at the Academy Awards. Do you remember that? Yep. And he made the joke maybe like four years after the event actually happened. 
And I said something like, always topical here at Motley Fool Answers. And then we all started, somehow we got a giggle fit, and we laughed for like four minutes. Do you remember that, Rick? Is that when the shelf broke down? And then the shelf broke, and water went everywhere, and you started choking, and it was just ridiculous. I died. I think we were in the upstairs studio. We were. We were in that closet of a studio. So, just to show you how timely we still are here at The Motley Fool. Y2K, everybody. Are you worried? (laughs) Today, we thought that we would talk about how to Marie Kondo your money. And, of course, do you remember when this book actually first came out? 2012. I I I do. I've got the stone tablet it was chiseled into. (laughs) But the the Netflix series is only a year old. There you go. So, yeah, always topical. Still relevant. Still Still relevant. relevant. So, yeah, Diana, we asked you to join us. Classic is what we are. Yeah, never out of style. Uh, We're just waiting to see if it sticks. <laughs> like, okay, okay, all right. We're good. Nine years later, we can do a Marie Kondo episode about your money. But yeah, that's what we're here. So, all right. So, for the two people who are listening who have not heard of Marie Kondo, uh, who wants to tackle explaining what exactly she wrote about? Well, so the name of her book was The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up the Japanese Art of Decluttering and Organizing. So she was a, a organizational consultant in Tokyo after years of being like a, she was a, an assistant at a Shinto temple. So there's a sort of a spiritual side to all this for her. Um, and then she just became very successful, wrote this book, became a New York Times bestseller, and it's never been the same for Marie. Nope, or us either, which is why nine years later, we thought we would uh, talk about- We're still staring at that pile of stuff. Well, yeah, because she would. She, I mean, some of the, the. I never read the book, but I, from what I've gleaned from from everyone else, is that you're supposed to like get all of your things, like get all of your clothes, all of your clothes, put them out on on your bed, go through each piece of clothing, and see if it sparks joy. Yes. And then if it doesn't spark joy, you thank it for the service it has provided you. And then you get rid of it, whether it's donated or whatever. Is that right? Yeah. Don't you remember? I I did this. I followed. I I condoed my closet. Yeah. And dumped everything that was in it out on my bed. And I I thought, okay, really, do I need to thank this item? Do I need to say goodbye mm-hmm. and talk about what I learned? And so, just as a joke, and I. I was I was gonna tweet these out, mm-hmm. um, but I, I didn't because it actually really made a difference at getting. Mm-hmm. So there's this pair of clogs that I never wore, and I thanked those clogs for showing me how mannish they made me look. <laughs> so and then was fine with getting rid of it. And so there is something to it. Yeah, but definitely the dumping all the stuff out on your bed because it's mortifying when you see how many items. That you own. Yeah. yeah. I have clothes in my closet that I moved to DC with in a suitcase. Like, that's how bad it is. Oh, wow. They still fit me, though. Hey. I'm sure they do. <laughs> All right, so we have just some advice today about how to tidy up your financial life and just your life in general. And so we're going to start with simplifying the clutter of financial accounts. Yeah. All right. This is, you know, this is about knowing what you have. And in in Marie Kondo's world, putting like with like, you're not supposed to have winter coats in four different closets in your in your home. You're supposed to put them, yeah, yeah, all in one place. So again, you know what you have, and you don't rebuy things that you 
already own. I've done that so many times with tools. Oh, my goodness. So the first step is to literally dump the contents out to see what you've got. And the money version of this step is to gather all of your financial information in one place. Services like Mint, you need a budget and personal capital. They make it really easy to see what everything that you have in one place. It's like a dashboard. Um, the next step is to look for needless redundancies here. Where we see it a lot is old 401ks. People job hop, they've started contributing to an account, uh, and that you have end up you know, across the country littered with 401ks. It's $5,000 here, 10000 there. What you probably want to do there is to consolidate them. Uh, roll them into directly into an IRA so that you've got one pile of money here. It's easier to manage that way. And also, with 401ks, after you leave your company, you're probably paying, paying management fees that you weren't when you were an employee. So it's a good way that this will actually save you money. Same thing with bank accounts. Uh, you've got your regular checking account for bill paying, but how many others do you need? Probably, uh, I would say maybe three, four maximum. So your bill paying account, that's where your paychecks, direct deposit, and you're paying your bills. Obviously, because it's a bill paying account. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Then your emergency fund money, and that should be in a high yield savings account. Uh, then different money that you save that you're saving for big expenses that are coming up, whether that's you know the tuition for the kids' college, not the investments, but the actual money, cash money you're going to need to pay for that, or a house down payment, or an upcoming vacation. So that's three accounts right there. You probably don't need many more than that in terms of bank accounts. Same thing with credit cards. A lot of us have a wallet packed full of plastic. Now. I urge people to be really careful here about canceling credit cards because that can affect your credit score. And in fact, I, if you are going into a situation where you're shopping for a loan, just don't do anything right now, especially if your credit's in a good place. But for long term, think about the cards that you want to keep. Those are the ones that give you the best rewards for your spending. You know, either whether it's travel points, um, cash back, uh, any of those things. So. Keep that card. A low-rate card is nice to have in case you do have to carry a balance month to month, or you can roll over an existing balance onto that card. And maybe one that both you and your partner um, are on to pay for joint expenses. It kind of makes that uh, bookkeeping in the household a little bit easier. One extra bonus I'll point out about consolidating your accounts is for many financial services firms, the more assets you have with the company, the more access you have to certain services. So it might be like if you have over $100,000 or $250,000 of assets, they provide free financial planning or free estate planning or something like that. So as you consolidate, look to what benefits you are now eligible for because you have more assets with that one firm. Yep. And in other places with insurance. Honestly, you know how they say, you know, bundle your insurance, you can get a discount if you're, you know, homeowners and your car insurance. So look look at things in that way. Here again, you basically want all your winter coats hanging in the one closet. Yeah. All right. Next one is tidying up your portfolio. Right. As you go through that first step, you're gonna come across a lot of investment accounts and you're gonna see a lot of your investments. Um, some of them you probably haven't thought about for many years. I think the first place to start is your actively managed funds, whether you have it in your 401k or your IRA or anywhere else. 
We know that the majority of them do not beat an equivalent index fund. That has been particularly true over the last several years. You do not want to be paying higher expenses for an actively managed fund that is underperforming an equivalent index fund. So look there. Get rid of the funds you don't need anymore. What about those stocks that you bought that you're not really paying attention to anymore? <coughs> I would say that. <laughs> Wait, oh, is someone guilty of that? A little bit. I got a couple stinkers. That, oh. uh, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say necess- not necess- like just, just because you don't follow the company anymore doesn't necessarily mean you should right. get rid of it, especially if you bought it on the recommendation. For, I know a lot of people here are, are probably bought stocks based on Motley Fool Services, like yeah. many of the stocks Rack that space. I own. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to worry about that one cluttering our portfolio anymore. <laughs> Oh, well, that's okay. That said, if you are in a position where you need money because you need to spend the money or you found another investment that you like more and you need some cash, definitely start with the investments that don't, and I dare say it, don't spark joy anymore. You don't follow follow the company anymore. You might as well get rid of them at that point. Just beware of tax consequences, of course, when you're selling something. I don't recommend that you just sell investment, though. For no other reason other than you don't really follow anymore, as long as it's right. Yeah, and if by the way, if you did buy it based on a Motley Fool service, like many of the ones that I have, you can go back into that service and still see, get the latest research on it. And in some cases, the service may have sold it years ago. You just haven't been paying attention. In that case, you might want to sell it. All right. Next up, we have some physical decluttering with your old financial paperwork. Diana, tell me, what can I toss? Oh, bane of my existence. Those piles of paper, uh, and I'm uh, and I'm always getting these statements. Uh, I forgot. Do, am I keeping this? So here here are some good rules of thumb: um, three years, seven years, forever. Those are the those, those are, are the, the piles. T- those are the piles. Uh, we'll start with the stuff that doesn't have to do with taxes uh, because it's a much shorter list. So insurance documents and other contracts. Keep those as long as those policies are active. Uh, if you're getting monthly statements for these things, square them up with the annual summary statement and then get rid of the monthly ones. Uh, medical bills. Keep receipts for a year just in case your insurance company asks for proof of a doctor visit or you know wants to verify uh, a medical claim. Again, documents you want to keep forever, birth certificates, your marriage license, wills, adoption papers, death certificates. You don't have to worry about it after your own death. Uh, and and records of paid off mortgages, just because that one should probably go in a frame, right? Right. <laughs> a delightful frame to hang in your foyer. Um Paycheck stubs. Those, uh, if you're not doing all of this stuff electronically, you can toss paycheck stubs after you've uh, squared it away with what's on your W-2 and your annual Social Security statement. So then there are all the documents that have to do with your taxes. And the short answer here also is really to play it safe, keep stuff for seven years after you've, if it's had anything to do with your taxes, and if it's a record of, of, of like a write-off or a credit that you took. Most of the things you actually, I think the IRS says you, you usually have to just keep for three years. In fact, quote, the IRS says, three years from the date you filed your return or two years from the date you paid the tax, whichever is later. Let's just call that three years. Mm-hmm. But if you claimed a loss from worthless securities, you want to keep those records for longer, right? Yes. Anything related to securities that are outside of retirement accounts, um, especially if you bought the thing several years ago. Nowadays, 
uh, financial services have to keep better information about cost bases, and it has to transfer if you move your account from Vanguard to Fidelity, for example. That was not always the case. So, for I, like, I bought Home Depot back in 1997 through uh, a drip plan. I can go to the website now and, and get cost basis information from 2000 onward. I don't have any yeah. cost basis information from my first three years' worth of purchases and dividend. I don't know what I'm going to do when I sell that. I wish I had that paperwork. So, definitely keep that paperwork. That, that, that stock now is an inheritance. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm just going to leave it to they get the stepped-up cost basis. Yep. Right, exactly. And the only other thing I'll add to this is you don't need paperwork anymore these days. Mm-hmm. You can go to just about anyone who provides any financial services and have uh, e-bills, or you can scan documents. There are a lot of great scanner apps these days that you can scan it just with your phone. In my inbox, I have a folder called Bronances for all our financial-related stuff, and I also use Evernote, and I have a whole Bronances. Everything is organized electronically. That way, it doesn't take up space, but it's also searchable that way. So if I need to find something from 2014, I search either my my email or my Evernote, and I can find it. There's just no reason to keep paperwork. Actually, just recently, too, my wife has been complaining about all the artwork we have from our kids. She found this service where you basically put it all in a box, send it away, they do all the scanning and everything for you, and then put it on a thumb drive. So you have all the artwork electronically, but you don't have it lying around in bins in your house anymore. Uh, you said that there's an app where you can like, take a picture and scan something. Does it also then convert what it sees, the letters, into words, or is it just a photo? No, it can't, it, so depending on which one you use, yeah. it does have the optical reading, whatever, that turns it into an editable document. Mm-hmm. So Evernote has a scanning app. Uh, that doesn't do that quite as well. There's one called, I think it's File Scanner Pro. It's like $60. Oh. But it's top of the line. So depending on how much of that you want to do and how important, like if I were running a business, mm-hmm. um, I might invest in that because then you scan it and then you can then edit it. Running a business, um, things where if you itemize, you are dealing with a lot more paperwork as well. So scanning things like the utility bills. Again, this has to do with your taxes. So they say, you know, you want to keep those around for three years. Credit card statements of things that you bought for the business. Um, all of the, you know, bank statements, all of that stuff that uh, if you are going to itemize, if we hope not, knock on wood, if you get audited, you're going to need proof uh, of those of those expenses. Right. And since we're talking about taxes, last final thing, this is the time of year when you start getting that stuff in the mail. Classic advice, just have a manila folder right by your door. Mm-hmm. As soon as that tax stuff comes in, just put it in that envelope so when you sit down to do your taxes, you have it all contained in one place. All right, next up, this is a topic that is near and dear to Bro's heart. You've talked about this before on the show. Actually physically getting rid of stuff right. for fun and profit. Right. So, I mean, you can Those do- manish clogs. <laughs> How do I how do I get money for the Manish clogs? I don't know specifically <laughs> on how to sell the shoes, but yeah. So I mean, really, this is basically doing what Marie Kondo suggests you do. You go through and you. I think her she does have a specific order. I think it's clothes, books, paperwork, miscellaneous, and then sentimental stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go through that process, you are going to have a bunch of stuff. In fact, if you looked a year ago when the Netflix documentary came out, you saw all kinds of articles about thrift stores basically crying mercy. Like, please (laughs) stop donating all the stuff. I think one headline was, Marie Kondo is not sparking joy for thrift stores. Um, But you are going to come across a lot of stuff. So what can you do with it besides feel bad about all the money you spent and wish you didn't spend because now you're getting rid of it? Well, you can try to get, number one, get some of that money back by trying to sell it. Something I do do regularly, um, 
I usually use Craigslist. Of course, there's eBay. There are more specialized sites for things. I don't want to go through all of them, but there's Poshmark, ThreadUp for clothes. My daughter bought a purse for $5 at a garage sale and then sold it for $250 on Poshmark because it was wow. a Gucci. Wow. Um, yes. For tech, there's Gazelle, um, You Sell, Declutter, which doesn't have that second E. And on Declutter, you can sell like CDs, DVDs, and mm. games. People still buy CDs. I mean, Declutter buys. They do. I'm sure you don't get a whole lot of money, but you get something. Wow. Yeah, we did that. Ron, Ron went through his whole stack of CDs, and some of them were like a dollar, some were like 50 cents, right. but he still got rid of them. You get rid of them. You hope that someone then yeah. will get some use out of them, and it's mm-hmm. better than just throwing them away. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there are tons of sites specialized for certain things. So if you have a significant number of something, a collection, whether it's, I don't know, coins, stamps, Tupperware, if you just Google either where to sell or where to donate, you're going to find places that possibly specialize in those items. Um, so let's go on to the donate part, right? So you can donate them. Uh, you, the articles that pointed out that a lot of thrift stores were like, okay, we've gotten too much stuff. Those were a year ago. They've recently started saying, like, okay, okay, we could use some more stuff again. Uh-huh. But just call your local Goodwill store, Salvation Army or whatever. Ask them, are you taking things? And what are you not taking? Because sometimes they'll say, all right, we haven't enough books, or we don't need any computer equipment. Uh, we did this in December, called the Guild Wheel, and they came and took it away from us, so we didn't even have to go there. Wow. Um, we just left it out, and they told us, we'll take these things, we won't take these things. And we came home, and there's a couple things they just left behind. Um, but you can do that. But then there are also charities where you can donate things, so Dress for Success, for example, um, you can donate your professional clothes that they use to help uh, women, lower-income women. That one is really good because you can. I've done this before, where you put together outfits with your stuff. You know, you you loved it when you bought it. You feel, you know, guilty about how much money you spent. You can really make a difference with your donation there, and even taking that extra step by putting outfits together and bagging them that way. Yeah, I, w- I will make a point going back to the thrift store thing. By the way, I came across a stat that said thrift stores basically throw away seventy five percent of what gets donated wow. because most of it is junk. So don't use the thrift yeah. store. Don't use the yeah. goodwill of the Salvation Army as your trash dump. Make sure that it is usable. Yeah, be thoughtful. Yeah. Um, in Australia, they have a, uh, a guideline. If you wouldn't give it to your mate, don't donate. So if, I mean, it's got to be something that you'd be willing to give someone that they can continue to use it. Um, I came across a, a website, givebackbox.com. So the point is, all right, we all have boxes lying around the house. We ordered something from Amazon or something. What you can do is fill it with stuff you no longer need. You go to the site, you put in your zip code, it prints out a label for you. I did this, and the example was a Goodwill store in Maryland. You put it on the box and send it, and they pay for the shipping. So if you have boxes laying around and you have stuff you don't need anymore, it's totally free to you. It's sponsored by Amazon and a bunch of other companies that pay for it. But then it goes to some sort of charity in your area that can use the stuff. Huh. And, and there, you can put in anything you want. Mostly up to 70 pounds, except for, I think, liquids and flammables and mm-hmm. bombs and stuff like that. Uh, for books, books is, again, is one of the subject, one of the particular, one of the categories for Marie Kondo. Books are tricky. You can ask your public library. Sometimes they'll take it. Sometimes they're inundated with books and they don't need it. Schools, prison libraries. Um, there's actually operationpaperback.org, which sends paperbacks to members of the military who are stationed overseas. So are there other ways to get rid of some of your and books? We, and we have these uh, uh, in our in the neighborhood. These they look like 
big birdhouses. Anyhow, people put books that they no longer want in there, and it's take a book, you know, leave a book. Leave a book. Yeah, there's a couple in our and it's too. and it's kind of fun to see what are what are my neighbors reading. Hmm. Right. And oh yes, I'd love that crockpot recipe book. <laughs> you would have liked when we there was a little library while we were waiting to go um, get dinner in Del Rey. And the book I pulled out was from the 60s or 70s, and it was a book of French terrines. So it was just layered, and all of the pages were brown and gross and disgusting. You know, like the, where they would layer like gelatin and different things. Oh. Why would I like that? that? Was a, I don't know. I thought you liked things that were like... Yeah, dark oh. and creepy. Oh, no. <laughs> and there were uh, doll heads. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I was going to say, if you have quirky toy... Vintage instruments. Look, co- contact contact me through the show. Here. Speaking speaking of that in books, by the way, like just Google book furniture. Like people have done some amazing things yeah. with the books they no longer read to make turn into furniture. Furniture, oh. tables, artwork, beds. Yeah, all kinds. It's pretty cool. Uh, and then just another example: Lions Club will accept donations of eyeglasses. So again, oh. there are lots of people who will take the donations. If you have a lot of something, just Google. You'll probably find someone who's willing to take. Um, what you're willing to donate. And then the last thing is just recycle. So many stores have buyback programs or recycling. Like you can go into a mm-hmm. Best Buy and just dump off all the cables you don't need anymore. Amazon, Target, Apple, Staples, they all will either buy back stuff or at least allow you to donate it. Like my very first generation Apple Watch. I was hoping to get some money for it. Not worth anything to Apple, but they will at least recycle it if you send it back to them. Um, and then there's Free Cycle, which is just a website. You put in your address, and people are just constantly putting out there saying, like, I'm done with this. I don't want this anymore. And let me know if you want it. And if you just have stuff, you don't want to throw it away. You don't want to take it to the thrift store, but you think someone will use it, try Free Cycle. Great. We actually have a kit coming up in our office. Uh, we're doing a kid swap where everyone brings in their, their kids? toys and they don't no. want their kids. <laughs> no, I'm, I'd like an upgrade. Their toys, kid, like toys and clothes that mm-hmm. they've all, and then everyone just like then just takes they they leave and take stuff. It's awesome. It's really great. Yeah, Rick's a fan too. Um, so you can also organize swaps like that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I should say, whenever you hear the word donate, people are like, oh, I get a tax write off for that. It's a little harder these days because mm-hmm. you only can take the, it's an itemized deduction. So only if you exceed the standard deduction, which most people don't do. Plus, there are a lot of rules mm-hmm. about donating um, something basically other than money. So there are a lot of rules about it. Uh, the exciting publication to read is IRS Publication 526. <laughs> Just know the rules. Surprisingly, not as long and convoluted as a lot of IRS stuff. Just know that basically if you're donating anything, you're going to claim a deduction worth more than $500. Things get trickier. If you donate something that you think is worth more than $5,000, you have to get a professional appraisal and attach it to your tax return. You know, Going through this process, especially with the stuff that you have, really makes you think about your spending going forward. Um, and ask those questions. All right, a year from now when I listen to this podcast over again, <laughs> the next with a slightly different with twist. With a slightly yes. different twist from a 1984 best-selling yeah. book. <laughs> um, is this is this was is am I going to think this was worth it? Does it spark joy in me now? Does it spark joy after I walk out of the store with it in my bag. Yeah. Well, Marie Kondo herself has said this, that after people go through this process, they become more mindful f- with their spending. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly, when we had a, a garage sale over the summer, because the kids wanted to raise money for a charity, 
And when you put out all that oh. stuff that you bought for $50 and you're now selling for $2, it makes you it makes you think an awful lot of where your money goes. Thanks, you guys. Uh, this has been great. But now we're going to stick around and actually see how good you would be at going to a rummage sale and finding items that actually are worth something. Oh. Rick, you get to play too. Woohoo! All right. <laughs> Thanks to Grammarly for supporting Motleyful Answers. Grammarly is a writing assistant that makes you look and sound smarter, whether at school, work, or when you're on the go. Grammarly's free version can be downloaded by anyone on their computer and phone and helps review critical spelling and grammar. Grammarly Premium Service gives you more advanced help, looking also at advanced punctuation, structure, style, vocabulary, conciseness, tone, and readability for different occasions. Grammarly Premium not only helps me catch those stupid spelling and grammatical mistakes I make when I'm writing messages to the whole company, but I also tend to write in kind of a passive voice, and it helps me write with better clarity and conciseness. Oh, Isn't that nice? That is nice. Go to Grammarly.com slash fool to get 20% off your Grammarly Premium account today. That's Grammarly.com slash fool for 20% off your Grammarly Premium account. I'm having it You guys, I have for you yard sales. It's a choose-your-own-adventure story. So I'm going to give you a budget and you and three things to purchase. You guys are going to have to figure out who's going to purchase which thing, and then we're going to figure out just how valuable the thing was that you bought. It'll start to make sense. <laughs> By the tenth question. By the tenth question. No, that's much. It's only. It's shorter than that. Okay. All right, you guys. We're going shopping, and I'm giving you a budget of ten dollars. Here's the first thing that you could choose to spend your $10 on. While visiting a Pennsylvania flea market, you see a painting of a, quote, dismal, dark country scene with a signature you can't make out. But it has a nice frame. Maybe you'll just buy it for the frame. $4. Next item. While perusing a garage sale in garage sale in New York, you see a bowl. It's five inches in diameter. It's kind of cream colored, and it looks like little lotus petals engraved on the outside. Would look really good on your mantle. $3. Next item, while perusing a flea market in North Carolina, you come across an old tintype photo of five Wild West looking men sitting together looking at a camera. It might be a nice addition to the room you're going to put up on Airbnb. $10. All right. So your options are one of you is going to buy a painting, one of you is going to buy a bowl, and one of you is going to buy a picture of some cowboys. Which one do you want? I, I'm going for the painting. I wanted the painting. Okay, I'll go for the cowboys. Oh, you're going to buy the... Rick, you that... get the bowl. No, I don't <laughs> want the bowl. The bowl's last on my list. Okay, I I'm going to take the bowl. All right, I'll take the cowboys. I'm going to I'm gonna win. Uh, the, the cowboys are from Silver Dollar City. It's ah, it's... Silver Dollar City! <laughs> you know, Silver Dollar I know Silver Dollar City! Yeah, we, we went there as kids. I grew up in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Uh-huh. We would go to Silver Dollar City, too. And we would get, you'd get all dressed. you get your yep. whole family dressed yep. up in the oldie-timey And then you get the sepia tone. Yep. And you get the tintype. Oh, <laughs> Silver Dollar City. I haven't heard that since I was a little kid. There are at least five listeners right now going, Oh my gosh, I know Silver Dollar City, too! Okay. All right. Well, let's take a look back at that John Singer Sargent painting. That John Singer. Sargent. <laughs> All right, Diana, you chose the painting. You toss the painting to reuse the frame, only to discover an original copy of the Declaration of Independence was hidden behind it. One of only twenty-four in existence. It is later auctioned off for 
$2.4 million. Wow. And yes, that really did happen to a gentleman in 1991, as reported in the New York Times. All right. Now, let's take a look at that bowl. Who bought the bowl? I bought the bowl. All right. Bro, you purchase the bowl and you leave it on your mantle for several years before realizing it is a 1,000-year-old treasure <sighs> from the northern Song Dynasty, which ruled China from 960 to 1,127. 1127? I don't know. Yes. And it is later sold at auction for $2.2 million. Oh. Is that more or less than the other one? The other one was more. two point what? 2.1? Oh, oh, no, nope. mine was 2.4. No, Diana's still winning with 2.4. Oh, All right, Rick, do you want to find out what you bought? No, I feel bad about my 2.4. I think it's a picture of my brother. <laughs> <laughs> At Silver Dollar Go, City. Yeah. Bear Report, anyone? Well, those Wild West men are the wildest of all. One of those five men is Billy the Kid, and another is Pat Garrett, the man who goes on to kill him. Wait. Or are they? Photos of Billy the Kid are very rare. So rare, in fact, that there are only two or three confirmed photos of him out there. So, a photo of Billy the Kid playing cards is set to fetch $1 million at an auction this year. And the other confirmed photo of Billy the Kid went for $2.3 million back at an auction in 2011. There's even supposedly a photo of him playing uh, croquet with his buddies, Billy the Kid, that is, that has been insured for $5 million. But your photo? Well, Rick, the jury is still out on if it's real or not. Oh. And that's what happened to Frank Abrams in North Carolina in 2011. And he did put it in his Airbnb room, apparently. <laughs> All right, now I'm going to give you some more money. And this is, this is the last one. Now you have a budget of $100. Let's see if you can do any better. First stop, you spot a small bronze Buddha statue at a garage sale in Kirkwood, Missouri. It's missing an arm and a hand, but it's still pretty cool looking, and it's less than $100. While rummaging through a, yes, rummage sale in Maine, you stumble across a team baseball card for the Brooklyn Atlantics. It looks pretty old, like really old. Brooklyn Atlantics? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Bonus, that's how old it is. (laughs) The $100 budget also leaves you enough money to purchase some old Coke bottles and a couple of oak chairs. And finally, you're at a garage sale in Fresno, California, looking for an old barber chair, oddly specific, when you stumble across a couple boxes of black and white glass negatives of pretty landscapes. Looks like Yosemite. You're not sure what to do with them, so you take them home and keep them stored under your pool table for 10 years. So that's... $45. So, would For you like to purchase Adams. Adams. That's what I was say. Yeah. Would you Adams. like to purchase a small bronze Buddha statue for $100 for less than $100? Would you like a uh, old baseball card for $100? Or would you like a box of black and white glass negatives for $45? Wait, do the baseball the, the baseball card I thought also came with some Coke bottles Coke and, bottles and oak chairs. Those oak chairs. Hmm. First one to speak up gets whatever thing they want. So negatives. All right, Rose <laughs> getting the negatives. I'll take the the baseball card, which I know nothing about, but I but I hope the chairs are worse. Yeah, I think the Coke bottles. I get the broken Buddha. You get the broken Buddha. Uh, I should have gone with the bowl. I guess I shouldn't trust my uh, instincts here. <laughs> right? we'll Go see. with what I get. All right, let's learn more about this broken Buddha. You eventually take the Buddha onto Antiques Roadshow, where the appraiser tells you it dates back to the Ming Dynasty, worth as much Ooh. as one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. That's nice, but it later goes to auction and sells for two point one million dollars. 
Congratulations, Rick. It's broken. I knew I wanted the Buddha. <laughs> that really happened to a woman in St. Louis in 2017. All right, now let's take a look at that baseball card. It is really old. In fact, predating modern baseball cards, it's a photo of the team, uh, again, the Brooklyn Atlantics from 148 years ago. Whoa. Uh, in the book, Baseball Americana, the Library of Congress calls the item the first dated baseball card. Apparently, it was handed out to supporters of uh, opposing teams as a gesture of bravado from the brash Brooklynites. You take it to an auction, and it sells for $92,000. I know, it's tough when you sell something for a million dollars. All right, bro. You excited? I'm excited. All right. For this hypothetical fortune I'm about to have. So... You eventually take these two boxes of black and white glass negatives to an expert who tells you that, yes, the photographs were taken between 1919 and the early 1930s by none other than Ansel Adams. And it's from a part of his career that isn't well documented because of apparently a fire. He tells you the estimated value is $200 million. I can finally retire. Oh, wait. Oh. oh. Actually, never mind. The photos were taken by a guy named Earl. <laughs> the story made national news, and Earl's niece saw the stories and recognized her uncle's photography and so she was able to show some of the same prints as evidence oh. and ruined everything and that's what happened to Rick Norsigian in 2010 so there you go i think all of you made out quite well considering yeah yes very lucky um it was i went down such a rabbit hole researching all of this it was crazy how many things how many articles would be like this person found a thing and it could be worth whatever. And then you Google like further, and then like a month later, there's a story that's like, no, never mind. It's not worth anything. <laughs> it was a Pier One broken yeah, right? statue. <laughs> <laughs> Fell off a shelf in Pier One, and now it's yours. So, yeah. Um, but these were some that, uh, some. I mean, obviously the Ansel Adams one really broke someone's heart. But oh, that would be. Why did she step be. forward? Why? She had to ruin everything. I love everything. it. Uncle Earl. So perfect. <laughs> Diana, thank you again for joining us. Well, thank you. Do you for want to remind me. our listeners how they can get some more her money in their life? Yeah, come to hermoney.com. That's hermoney, one word, dot com. Or text hermoney to 888 Diana, come back again, will you? I will. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Well, that's the show. It's edited tidily by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool.com. We do have a mailbag episode coming up. Yes, we do. Like always. They just keep coming. The months keep coming, and so do the mailbag episodes. We did a little housekeeping, and if you follow us on Twitter or you're a part of the Motley Fool Facebook group for podcasts, you'll see that we updated the postcard wall, and now it's updated with hundreds and hundreds of postcards. We're going to need another wall. We're going to need a bigger wall. Yeah. It's awesome. So, uh, so yeah, you can head to Twitter if you want to see uh, your postcard on the wall, uh, or you can join the Motley Fool podcast Facebook group. Just ask and you'll be let in. Um, all right. Well, for Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Stay foolish, everybody.